hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. Welcome back to uh, Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. Um, veteran hamster podcast, Cy Hart is with me today. Hello, Cy. Hello, Joe. I think you'll find that's elder statesman. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. That's right. Are you Clegg of Last of the Summer Wine? No, you're... I've been cl- yeah, no, I am Clegg. Oh, yes. You're Clegg. Yeah. I'm Compo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're just missing our foggy today. Oh, Fraser. Sorry, we always mention Fraser. Fraser. The love affair continues. Um, yeah, that's the klaxon done. Now, look here. I we need to we need to settle this up right now. You have now done so many of these commentaries. <laughs> you and I practically have a podcast of our own. Pretty much, don't we? Yeah. The Leisure Hive. Yeah. Um, and Gridlock invasion and Invasion of dinosaurs. dinosaurs. We've done on our own. Yeah. And with Fraser, we've done Two Doctors Yet to Be Released. Yeah. Invasion, Invasion of, time. of Time. Yeah. Armageddon, the Armageddon Factor. Factor. Oh, we're doing this perfectly in unison here. And, and Ascension of the Cybermen and the Timeless Children. That's a lot of runtime, you know. And we've barely cracked the surface. We've just started, really. Well, no, I, you know, I, I think we should probably start at Anna Nerfie Child and just do the whole lot. I mean, I don't think it's an unreasonable request, really. No, no, I think we could just fit that in in our busy lives. That'll be fine. Uh, the love affair between us is so strong. I'm sure we can make it through the entire run of Doctor Who without too many disagreements. Well, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. There's bound to be some somewhere. I mean, are we? Gonna... And I'm sensing there might be some today. <laughs> well, I think you could be. <laughs> I think you could be right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> now, well, okay. Well, that was a, a beautifully done segue into uh, what mm-hmm. we're going to be doing today. What are we going to be talking about today? Well, Joe, today we're going to let the chains of Fenric shatter. The beginnings to beginnings. Two forces only good and evil. Pure evil. I've been taking the piss out of that scene on every podcast I've ever done since I started doing <laughs> these bloody things. Um, okay, so we're doing the Curse of Fenrir, but we're not doing the chopped up original version. No, and we're not doing the extended VHS version. Unworthy of the diamond logo, that apparently. Exactly, yeah. What are we doing then? We're doing the ultra extended movie version. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you've got me for nearly two hours now. <laughs> I mean, people are literally coming in their pants right now at that point. So don't even worry about that. <laughs> really? I, I believe so. Um, I was astonished when I first watched this that some beautifully executed scenes were excised from this story. Mm-hmm. There's one scene, right, where um, Wainwright, that's the vicar, isn't it? Yeah. He's standing yep, yep. in front of the church, and it's like a pan. I can't remember if it's up or down. I think it's, it's up. up, isn't it? Looking up at the, the tower with the fog coming All in. the fog coming around him, and it's the most, like, it, it's one of those things where, you know, um, there's a Twitter um, account called Perfect Beauty. Perfect Doctor Who shots. It is yes. a perfect Doctor Who. I'm like, why would you ever remove this? And we no, know well, why. This is, this is the thing with this story. There is so much in it that they recorded that didn't make it onto the TV. I, I 
I'll, I'll talk about it more when we get to it, but mm. the bits in what was part four, um, like with Judson, Judson Fenwick's um, sort of really black comedy and lines like how English everything stops for tea oh, that yeah. didn't make it to the TV. Unbelievable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was so utterly cut to the bone. There was enough for five, wasn't there? Almost. I'm not quite sure if there was quite enough to make it a five-part story. And I think um, it would that there wouldn't have been a good cliffhanger where they needed ah, a okay. fifth cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think the cliffhangers are all fairly strong. They are maybe not part this. one, uh, which is all that? your doctor at gunpoint. Uh, excuse me, if you were surrounded by all those. Oh, but soldiers... you... <laughs> well, yeah, well, I, well, the soldier boys have have a certain charm. Would you not stand to attention? <laughs> well. I'll be coming to that later. I beg your pardon. <laughs> you are filthy. I don't, I don't know what's happened to you. We started off in the leisure hive and you were the picture of innocence talking about childhood glories. Now you you're talking about to coming to things. Yeah, I know. Jesus. It's always the quiet ones you've got to worry about. <laughs> I'm going to say, you bring it out of all of us, Joe. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about there, but it sounds disgusting. <laughs> um, well... I am ready to jump into this. Uh, now, yeah, it, it, this is going to be one long extended episode. We're putting out almost a two hour episode of Hamster here. Yeah, you lucky, lucky people. Oh, you lucky, lucky people. Lucky. What's that from? You are the chosen one. The elite. Mm-hmm. Dragonfire. What is it? Specially selected to join our force of mercenaries. We was tricked. Kane has powered 1700 no what was it 17 crowns for each of you mm-hmm. and he insists upon value for money <laughs> oh God. Okay, but we, anyway that's dragonfire we better not quote all the dragonfire <laughs> Kane doesn't own me Go on. you know the next line oh I think he does <gasps> oh okay we're gonna stop there okay <laughs> all right well let's skip into the Curse of Fenric special edition then um if yep. you would do the honor of counting of as course. in please can you do it in the style of Sylvester McCoy <laughs> yes <laughs> yes I can okay in five four three two one go let's go ace <laughs> Here we go. Okay. Wow. Okay. So I haven't had a chance to talk about these titles mm. because we always have to talk about the titles. I know mm. that's the rules. But um, I remember in 1987 just being absolutely stunned by these titles at the time because Colin Baker's titles have been really colourful. But this is on a different level. Yeah. And it was the spinning TARDIS in space. I might not have mentioned this because I don't think we've had a story with TARDIS spinning in space scenes, but they're one of my favourite things in the whole of Doctor Who. Do you like I it in Periodic? Yeah, I'd love seeing a wobbly model spinning through space and to have that in the titles and these titles is just yeah, very exciting. Fabulous. Um, I would like to start by saying something enormously positive. Because I okay. feel as if I am going to be the uh, the the least positive <laughs> of the two of us watching this. Um, yeah. This being shot on location was a fantastic move on whoever's part it was. 
and it adds so much production value to this story oh without a doubt i've been it just finding the army camp was such a master stroke it's it's so authentically 1940s the bbc can do this kind of thing so well and they do and that opening is just so atmospheric with the fog coming in yeah. across the sea and the soldiers coming in and the mean, lovely lovely soldiers oh god they're beautiful mm -hmm. i mean more on that later um if this was being shot now obviously there would be like a, a, a filter over it to make it look a bit more filmic but yeah. this absolutely could be released now this location work oh absolutely yeah and it's it's a a, a great um great location they found down at Lulworth Cove and it took me years to realize that um this is where I went on holiday for many years throughout the 1980s I didn't really? realize well I can tell you now my friend Allison who has done yeah uh, a couple of hamster commentaries was mm -hmm. there last week no way she came and visited me a couple of days later and she was like I was at Lulworth Cove mm -hmm. and I was like Oh, I think I've heard of that. I didn't re mm -hmm. connect it with Curse of Fenric. Then she started showing me pictures. And it, you know that thing they just came through, that hole? Yeah, you could see that hole. I yeah. was like, hang on a minute. That's Curse of Fenric. <laughs> I had to pull out my Doctor <laughs> Who location guide book. And there we were. Oh, McCoy's looking so good there. I love the yeah. duffel coat. I'm a yeah. bit of a thing about duffel coats as well. So this is... I beg your pardon. What's what, what do you mean a thing? <laughs> I love wearing a duffel coat myself. So. Oh, oh, okay. Sorry, I thought you were telling me something mm -hmm. else. Yeah. <laughs> You like a man well, I in a duffel coat. I have a follower coat. on Twitter who has a thing about people wearing duffel coats, which is a very odd kind of fetish, but there we go. Oh, mate, that ain't the oddest. No, oh, well, no, that's true. <laughs> okay, so I, I would like to um, bring up something now that I'm wondering if you'll disagree with. Okay. I think season 26 is one of the rare moments in Doctor Who where the performances of the Doctor and the Companion are generally weaker than the guest performances in those Ooh. stories. And it's certainly true in Ghostlight, because there's a phenomenal cast in that. Yes. And I think uh, probably over half the cast members of this are much stronger actors than McCoy and Aldred. Mm -hmm. What do you think about I that? I think that's, that's possibly fair. I it's 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 quite difficult to disagree because they had phenomenal guest casts yeah. throughout this season and um but i think the chemistry between mccoy and eldred gets you through that eldred and is eldred in this <laughs> it's my accent playing playing <laughs> playing games but they are so good together yeah. and there's there's such a warmth between them that you can't help but be tracked along with them. It's a weird contradiction, isn't it? Because there are moments in this where both of them struggle, I think, with the material. And yet, when they're together and, and the, the warmth that exudes between them, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely is. And I, yeah, I don't think you can say they're the two greatest actors that we've had as doctor and companion but they work and when mccoy gets fun scenes like this mm -hmm. he's magnificent oh, oh and he, and i also i call mccoy a dangerous actor 
because you never quite know what you're going to get. He's very unpredictable, right? And he can be yes. like terrifically good, and he can be like cringe-worthingly awful, <laughs> and you never quite know from scene to scene what you're going to get. But it means no, and I'm... the trade-off is so you you go through those cringy moments, but you get those really powerful moments. Yeah. Oh, I love this. I love him just walking in like he's he's someone important and just coming in, typing up his official documentation, yeah. asking for two pens. I mean, and we... that's that's the magic of the doctor, and that was that was a much quoted line between me and my best friend at school. Two pens, please. <laughs> we're and a yeah, lot. We're a long way from season twenty-four here, aren't we? Like, oh, the, absolutely. The emphasis yeah. is completely different now. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, there are still elements of his earlier Doctor all the way through this. There are moments of clowning around. There's moments of yeah. fun. I'd say less so in this story, but there's a, certainly a lot of clowning about in things like Battlefield and Survival. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and this and this was the first one that they did for this season, so he's come back refreshed, and he's. I think he's yeah, he's, he's giving this he's, everything really. Yeah. More than everything at times. <laughs> um, okay, well, I've, I've got a question for you then. Okay. Does that surprise you? Yeah, I'm shocked. Absolutely uh, shocked to my core. I can see it all over your face. Um, could you very quickly, and I know this is away from Curse of Fenrir, but you just said something really interesting there. Could you, off the top of your head, say who the best doctor and companion actor are? Actor, actress. Ooh. Oh, that, oh, that's a that's a a difficult one because it's all all quite subjective, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, there's there's a good case for it being, I think, Hartnell, um, Jacqueline Hill, and um, William Russell, who are all absolutely phenomenal. I think Troughton and Hines are are absolutely spot on yeah. all the time. Uh, Tom and Liz. Obviously, I would put a pin in. Or and, would you say Pertwee and Liz? Well, actually, I I would say the best actor to play the Doctor, and this is entirely subjective, and he's not my favourite mm-hmm. Doctor by a long shot. But the best yeah. actor is Peter Capaldi. Okay. Um, and probably the best actress is Louise Jameson. Yeah, I you yeah, Louise just does so much with so little, mm. and she is always in character always thinking about what Leela would be doing and as yeah, Fraser I, I, said in the yeah. invasion of time she's super hot as well yeah. <laughs> not many think... not many could get away with that mini dress and not many people say that about Peter Capaldi though do they no <laughs> um do you like the fact that this really leans into the horror genre do you know when I can remember watching this very vividly in 1989 um, for for many many reasons but um, was all these scenes with the sort of creepy menace and a monster and the monster point of view with the monster coming to get you with sort of a green haze round the screen and things like that it just felt more like Doctor Who than Doctor Who had felt sort of for a very long time um, that's probably not fair because lots of there'd been so many great stories i think particularly over uh, the last two years of doctor who at this point mm. but 
that just felt like proper Doctor Who, a monster stalking people and unstoppable, and it's going to keep on coming. And although it's moving slowly, it's coming to yeah. get you. Like in a way, slightly like old. Um, like like the mummies coming at you, isn't it? Like yeah. And I, I, I was thinking particularly because I've not long seen Ark in Space at this point, and you've got that that, that same almost green filter over the the screen it's with exactly the Wirren coming. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And so. It just felt like, oh, hang on, Doctor Who hasn't done this for a long time. You haven't had a monster story where the monster is coming and you haven't seen it and it's it's coming up. And oh my god, here we go. This is Christian Anholt here playing mm. Perkins. Yeah. And um, he was responsible for my sexual awakening age fourteen. He's beautiful. Oh my he? god, he is a beautiful man. But and, <laughs> one of many beautiful i know but he he was the one for me particularly when he has his cap off and he's got his lovely floppy hair do you know know mine is it's uh soren oh my oh he He is is, yeah he's gorgeous well when i was watching this earlier i was messaging a friend with pictures of him and i was just going can he just sit on my face please can he just this please (laughs) and my friend's messaging me back saying i'm trying to have my breakfast leave me alone (laughs) um but also as well, I think the 80s, there was, they didn't really lean into outright horror very often. It happened occasionally. No, it was, it was more action-adventure. Yeah. And mercenaries and soldiers and fighting and big gun battles and explosions and things like that. We hadn't had something that was outwardly scary for a long time. I think maybe... And this story was scary because it gave my... My brother, who's six years younger than me, so where are we? Nineteen eighty-nine. He'd have been seven. Mm. Um, it gave him nightmares. I'm this story, surprised. and he was banned from watching Doctor Who, which, what? as it turned out, was a band that lasted for for what six weeks. Not or long. <laughs> I think parts of Frontiers are supposed to be leading into horror, eaten by yeah. the earth. I think parts of Revelation of the Daleks. You know, Stengos and that horrible yeah. pulsating mm-hmm. organ um, and people being turned into bodies. Um, but that always felt a bit more gory than, yeah. than outright horror. And visceral horror rather than yeah, yeah. creeping horror. So this this is kind of like a return to Hinchcliffe a little bit, isn't it? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think, think that adds... was why it was so well liked at the time. Mm. Because there is a certain subset of fans who think of Doctor Doctor Who as a as a horror show, that kind of thing. Sort not of us, not you and me. No, <laughs> no, because the Hinchcliffe years were so revered, and particularly at this point, they were once again sort of at their peak of popularity mm. because the videos were starting to come out, and everyone was sort of saying, "Well, Doctor Who isn't." as good as Pyramids of Mars or Talons of Wing Chiang. Or, like, like, or, yeah, like it can only be Talons one yet, thing. You know, like it can only be one bloody thing. Exactly. But it can be, yeah, as we've discussed many times, it can be all sorts of things. And it's very um, reductive to take it down to, it's just a horror show. It's mm. just this. It's just that. And that is my narrow view of what Doctor Who is. I also think in the 80s, um even though i think that it was a very savvy move to um abandon dudley simpson and lean into the radiophonic workshop because i think the music in the 80s is more experimental and a bit more interesting yes. 
Uh, I'm not going to say better because I love Dudley Simpson's work. It's variable. It, but that's the point. It is very variable from person, from story to story. Yeah. What this story gets absolutely right is Mark Ayres' music, which is creepy as oh. fuck. In, especially oh in this God, episode yeah. one. Um, yeah. Uh, bringing in Mark Ayres at this point in the show, I think, really enlivens it. And I think if you compare the music in this to the music in Battlefield. Oh, my. One is working very much against everything that goes on in the script, and the other one is working sympathetically with the story. Do you and it's dare very to insult the mighty Kef? Well, no, I love Kef, and I think particularly in season 24, he oh, fits yeah. Doctor Who like Perfect. a glove. My God. But Time and the, the Rani, that score yeah. is, is just somewhere out there, isn't it? Absolutely. It is so 1987. Um, but... I think Battlefield would have succeeded better with a different score and a different director and all sorts of things, really. I'm not a huge fan of Battlefield. Do you know but... Lit Roundels on Twitter? I know you do. Yeah. Darren, Darren79 on YouTube has uh -huh. rescored. He has. I've seen his video. Yeah. And the end of Battlefield Episode 2 with his editing and the new score is so good. Yeah. Um, this woman here, what's the name of this actress? Um, Janet Hendry. She is one of the main stars of Sill and the Devil Seeds of Arador, you know. Well, there we go. And yeah. she was back in Mummy on the Orange Express. Of course she was. Yes. Ah. And um, rather brilliantly, um, she was um, an old school friend of Sophie Aldred's mum. And Sophie gonna... brought her mum down to the location so that they could have a reunion, oh. which is lovely. I thought you were going to say she was an old school friend of yours. I'd be like, hey, <laughs> there's a bit of an age discrepancy there. <laughs> she was a mature student. She was held back. Yeah. <laughs> For about 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> but the, I, it's very interesting watching this version because part one on the original TV cut was one of the most frenetic episodes oh of Doctor God. Who ever. You are moving from location to location to location to get to the next bit of the plot or to meet the next characters. And there wasn't time to breathe and to stop. And this is what this version really gets right. It's much slower. You've got time to take in what's going on. But yes. I mean, Frenette, the Doctor has gone from the church to the, the downstairs in the crypt in the church yeah. to the beach yeah. and is now on his way back to the army camp yeah. and it's it's all over the place and it I don't know whether it's a fault in the plotting and whether it could have been done a bit more elegantly or whether they just had to hit the ground running and just go with it but um, certainly I think the original cut doesn't do the story any favours whatsoever it's also pared down you lose so much stuff. Well, I want to talk about Andrew Cartmel, and I want to talk about his strengths and his weaknesses. Now, his mm -hmm. strengths, I think, are um, he poured a lot of emotion back into Doctor Who. He yep. poured some genuinely very good character work into the show. Mm -hmm. He and brought in so many new writers. Everyone in his 
era after time in the rani is new to the show or is he's bringing them back from his era huge amounts of creativity and imagination the great show in the galaxy yeah. happiness patrol paradise towers like these are massively imaginative stories mm-hmm. um and um he understands that a scene has to be memorable i you could pick up pretty much any scene in this era and say that's a good scene like that that's that yeah. I, I, and i remember it however sometimes no no his job is to script edit a story into the length that the story is supposed to be yes and he fails at that miserably time and again absolutely he's a great script editor but he's not a brilliant editor of the scripts he perfect every, every story in this era the fact that we've just had season 24 and every story has an extended edition because they shot more mm. than they needed um thank god they at kept a time it when yeah well we were bloody lucky that they kept it and all of this as well um but it says something that this is a this is a show that is constantly pushed for time um sort of while they're recording mm. but they're recording far too much. And if they'd had much tighter scripts to begin with, then they'd have had more time to do the scenes that they had got that would have made it to the TV and the show would have been stronger for it. I don't uh, even think this is the most egregious example of this, though. I think the worst example is Ghost Light, where they've edited out the explanations of yeah, what the story is exactly. about and you have to watch the special features on the ghostlight dvd and andrew cartmel explains what's going on yeah exactly and it yeah so he's not very good at getting that kind of thing onto yeah. the screen you've got magnificent character work you've got magnificent atmospheric scenes you've got some brilliant imagery mm. but Nothing is ever quite there. I, Battlefield is a great case in point where there's a story that has one of the slowest first episodes in the whole of Doctor Who. It is dreadfully slow. And yet by the end, it's so frenetic. Yeah. And it always feels like everything is in need of the next draft and it's never quite there. But, well, I mean, I'd say Battlefield is appallingly directed as well. Like, it, yeah, oh, yeah, well, that doesn't help. Yeah. Um, whereas, what's weird about Curse of Fenric is, I'd say Nick Mallet isn't one of the strongest directors. Like, I think Mysterious Planet's okay. I think Paradise yeah. Towers, the, the script is far better than the execution. Yes, that's one of those stories that needed a tone meeting so that everyone was on the same page. But so many elements of it are pulling in different directions the whole time. The performances are working against the sets. The actors aren't necessarily cast brilliantly to how they should have been. The caretaker should have been old and bumbling and fat. And Peck should have been this great Arnold Schwarzenegger muscle man. I think he struggles in the studio. But this is all location. On location it's He's the richard martin effect isn't it richard martin works very well on location and struggles yeah, the, in the moment studio. you're in the studio and it's and the studio time is is always difficult and pressurized mm. and you're not getting your best but, but some of his shots in this story are, are fantastic good. and he's worked really well with with his cast to get the best out of them 
but I, I still think he struggles sometimes to execute some of the scenes and he does like weird close-ups and there's a lot of chopping and cutting now I'm, i want to make a comparison um to another director working on all location in this era and that's alan waring in the greatest show in the galaxy yeah. every shot in the great show in the galaxy is just beautifully constructed and yeah. and it flows. It's like fluid watching that episode. Absolutely, one. I think yeah, Alan Waring was the best director of the McCoy years, with without a shadow of a doubt. I love. I think Andrew Morgan was was sort of second to him really, and I think Nick Mallet sort of redeems himself. And yeah. at the time, there was there was. Uh, I've been reading um, issues of DWB from around this time, sort of in the build up to this commentary, and I will throw some bits in later on. But there was such almost disbelief and anger that Nick Mallet was coming back because yeah. his two stories were not well loved by the miserable, horrible fandom that oh, was around at the time. Ungrateful and he, bastards, And they were honestly. saying, they've got this, this magnificent, wonderful atmospheric script that's coming and they've given it to Nicholas Mallet. And oh my God, what have they done? What are they thinking? But I think he does a really great job for the most part in this story as like you say as a redemption to those previous stories i think this proves what he can do whilst not being perfectly executed i don't want to shit over what he does here because some of the scenes are very powerful and and beautiful. this was the scene here that gave my brother nightmares with the with the corpse under the water and it's suddenly opening its eyes that scared him to death. Look at McCoy and Aldred Hill when they go and, and they touch their yeah. noses. It's so mm -hmm. cute. Yeah. Oh, they're so lovely. Oh, I love this. Oh, hi. We're the girls. Yeah. This is Kathleen. Lovely Kathleen. I feel like we've 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 kind of dodged into Goodnight Sweetheart now or something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and here we go. We've got um another story with a baby. Why has he got a super Ted though? <laughs> That's a cartoon from the eighties. Well, Apparently, according to, to my research, uh, oh. they, they say that it, it was actually an authentic 1940s pattern that was knitted up, no. especially for this. Oh, I don't think Ace is going to like that baby very much. No, I think you could be right. It's a very cute baby, though. It is. I, it's, it's actually, weirdly, very Stephen Moffat, isn't it, this? There is... Well, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you remember in Hyde when Hiller Takorian turns out to be the, I don't know, ten times removed gr uh, granddaughter of the two that are in the haunted house? It's very like that, isn't it? That kind of... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the Doctor being a child in Listen and all of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's it's done first here and I rather like it. Yeah, I, I think it's it's quite nicely done, and the fact that Ace sets up her whole future mm. is, is as a, a nice way touch. of exploring her character further. Like I always say about season twenty six, is it's far more about Ace than it is the Doctor. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. Ghostlight explores her fears of the haunted house. This explores her fears of uh, her relationship with her mother. And survival explores her fears of, well, basically going home, isn't it? And... Yes. Mm -hmm. But also... And finding out, yeah, that life has gone on without her. Yeah. And and we've never had that before, have we? Like, had that journey no. with a companion. 
and there, uh, this was one of the things that there was a lot of comment about at the time that oh, um really? it was more oh they should rename the series ace who because it's so much about her and it's not about doctor who and oh they're always exploring ace and it's always she's always the focus of the stories and what's that about do you and, know what i said a similar thing about clara in series eight and nine just call it clara who oh i'm one of those ungrateful fans oh, oh, no. oh no yeah but ace is better than clara come on yeah and, and i there were, were some comments like we've got one here that says ace's character development in this season has has seen um development unparalleled for a doctor who companion in doctor who's history Lovely. so who said that comment though was it simon hart no i didn't write to these magazines i just used to lap up all the all the negativity and horridness well look i think we should name and shame but also name the people that say nice things yep so that was andy booth oh, andy booth. nice things so. i think andy booth is a man of extreme integrity you know for making that comment mm -hmm. Yeah, unlike Roger Spence, who says, I haven't met anyone yet who has succeeded in following the plot. And if fans cannot follow the plots, then how on earth will the rest of the viewing public cope? I expect the viewing figures will answer that. Actually, the viewing figures went up throughout this season. They started at an yes. all-time low with they, Battlefield yeah. and then continued to rise until they were getting between five and five and a half million for survival. Yeah, exactly. So, so in your face, whoever made out. that comment. So there. So here we are coming up to the first cliffhanger, mm -hmm. just about. So so we've had about another sort of four or five minutes of extra material so far. Um, Millington. Yeah. I'm not convinced. Okay, it's a very subdued performance. I always feel like he acts it as if he's been taken over by Fenric, like he's been possessed. He's he's very strange. Yeah, it's it's an interesting choice. But I I had a conversation with friend of this podcast and contributor to new podcast Maximum Power, Nathan Bottomley. You know, so yeah. I've got that in there. I'll get that in there mm -hmm. every time we talk. <laughs> well done, Joe. Um. And um, he said that it is like he's possessed, but it's very off-putting, and that works to kind of throw you off kilter during his scenes. Yeah, because he's very quiet, and he's quietly in charge, mm. which I think is a is a pretty good thing. It, it, is, uh, it is a bit unnerving at times. It's a bit later on where he goes, yeah. it's now, Judson, the final war between... Oh, I can't remember the full line. I've always liked all these scenes of people reading the Viking inscriptions. Um, we've missed McCoy doing that, and I think that's one of his spookiest and most memorable moments in the whole show. He does it so well. Well, do you know what? He's always so good when he gets to underplay. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the key to his performance in this story. There is so much that is underplayed. And then when you do get the moment where he overplays it, um, it's, yeah. There's <laughs> it a wonderful is. bit in episode four, right? Where he runs into a room and goes, Ace! And she's literally a meter away from him. And I'm like, what are you shouting at her? 
Oh, these new special effects are great. Yeah, they're really good, aren't they? And, and I mean, this is these are old new special effects now because remember this this was 2003 wasn't it for the 40th oh. anniversary they did this but that's but simple they held I, I usually find really simple well. effects um age quite well when they don't try and do anything too yes. ambitious um okay how do you feel about new special effects i generally um, I watch them once and then watch them, watch the original versions more often than not. Um, this story is a bit of a, a different one because I can't tell you the last time I watched the original version. No, I, of it. I, I will only and watch I would the special choose not to to watch that ever to, again. Really, which honest, I think is the only story that oh, I would I, do that with. I've got two others. Okay, Day of the Daleks. I'll only watch the special edition now. And Enlightenment, mm -hmm. I'll only watch the special edition. Really? Oh, God, the Enlightenment was awful. Oh, I love Absolutely it. Dreadful. I love it. I no, 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 no. Excise all the flab and make it much tighter. There's no flab in that story at all. I don't know what you're on about. Well, actually, oh. you need to go and listen to the Who Back When episode about it that Lady Bear brought out last week. They savaged it. I couldn't believe it. I love well, Enlightenment. They're wrong. They're wrong. <laughs> Subjective opinions, remember. Well, oh, yes, sorry. <laughs> well, you're the one who said it in the last commentary. I was, yeah. I'm, I'm a man of double standards. It's, <laughs> it's really, it's lovely seeing Anne Reed here, oh. who obviously came back to Smith and Jones and was brilliantly evil and she, wonderful. She's so she's horrendously like, um, like savage in this. She should have had a bigger part, I think. Yeah. I mean, she's so mean to Judson. Really, really horrible to him. I would have loved it, you know, because I, I do need to talk to you about these two girls in a minute. Um, yeah. I would have loved it had she been the one that had been possessed and she had played evil, because I think she would have been... Well, we know she would have been brilliant. We yeah, see we it. know how great she is. Yeah. But one of my favourite moments is when Judson comes back when he's possessed by oh, Fenric yeah. and comes back and and has her killed and and, he, and that's just a cracking moment that is he's playfully sadistic with her he's like nurse crane you've looked after me all these years treating me treating like, a, me like a child <laughs> it's as good as jacoby was as the master is that kind of Him real is here's your shot isn't oh, it Joe, of looking up yes. at the church yeah 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 it's one of those days where um you really wish they'd had really overcast skies as well. I think that would have would have helped. Can I um can I say I think you might fight me on this one. Okay. Nicholas Parson gives the best performance in this. Yeah, and again, that that was hugely unexpected at the time yeah. because there was a lot of comment in all the fan press saying, Oh my god, this is this is the epitome of JNT's light entertainment mm. casting. He's a game show host. He's he's not going to be up to this. What are they What are they even thinking of? What he and does, he's shocked everyone. He underplays the role throughout. Yes. And as a result, makes a, a it could be quite a dull role. The the vicar. Mm -hmm. Um, I I'm gripped in every scene. And what shocked me was the moment where he gives the monologue. The passage from the Bible, yeah. 
And the nuance he gets out of that scene where you can see the doubt in his face. And he's not afraid of that camera getting right in his face. And he's not no. playing against anybody at all. It's just him. Yeah, it's it's superb. It is an unexpectedly brilliant piece of casting. And kudos to JNT for knowing his job. Yeah. And knowing, here we go, here is the scene, isn't it? And it's beautifully shot with this high shot of the church and panning down to, to him in the pulpit. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. it's terrific. Um, look at him. Just got, it's all on his face. It's all in his eyes. It's all in his expression. I would go as far as to say that JNT was a lot savvier with his stunt casting than people are, are care to admit. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, I can see completely what he's doing in season 24. He's looking, he's saying, right, so we've got Saturday night, early tea time slot. This is where it's being made for. This is where I'm expecting it to go out. We've just moved back to Saturdays. Is it Saturday night, season 24? No, no, it wasn't broadcast on Saturdays, but he's thinking Saturday night's TV. Oh, what was going to get the viewers in? Okay. We're going to cast all these big names. There's going to be a really big name that everyone yeah. knows in every story, someone that they recognise either from another popular show at the time or an actor or actress that is really well known. Mm-hmm. That's going to hook the viewer in for Saturday night, light entertainment evening. It will fit perfectly. And then they throw it on a Monday night against Coronation Street and it gets lost. But on an early Saturday night slot, it makes those stories and that co- all that casting oh makes God. perfect sense. Like light entertainment, like variety, like we get exactly. now on a Saturday So night. you've got, yeah, so you've got Kate O'Mara, you've got Richard Briers, you've got Ken Dodd, you've got all those um, Richard um, thingy, um, who's the Welshman who plays Burton. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, Richard, yeah. Uh, yeah, Richard Lloyd, who all well known for comedy things, but playing almost seriously a lot yeah. of the time. But those were names that you could hook your viewership in on a on a Saturday night. They'll tune in because they know these people. Mm. It gets BBC One off to a great start, and then it's all lost after Wogan on a Monday night. But push it back. I can't imagine anyone but Brian Blessed playing King Yukanos. No, I can't really imagine. And I don't don't fight me on this one. Anyone playing Briggs but Beryl Reeves? No, absolutely. And, uh, Linda yeah, Barron? Um, yeah. Linda Bellingham? Like, yeah. he's a savvier... Co- and I'm sorry, like, you compare it to Moffat, who does a lot of stunt casting. He wastes these amazing actors, like Arabella yeah, Weir, here, Bill get, Bailey, yeah. you know? But here, they all get a chance to shine in the 80s Doctor Who. They all get a good part. Yeah. And he can hook the publicity around it. He was really ahead of his time. And what's astonishing at the time. is that then you get moments like this with Nicholas Parsons where you're suddenly seeing what somebody who's known for light entertainment can really do with a yeah. meaty part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you've got a director who's steering his cast in the right way. Mm. And it works. It really works. So can I then please, unfortunately, make a shocking contrast then? And that is the truly abysmal performances of two vampire girls in this. Yeah, it's it's strange. um, They'd been biggish stars at the time. 
They were both um, had big parts in Grange Hill. But they were not, they were almost like the secondary cast members. They weren't ever at the forefront of anything. So, have you ever gone um, back and watched Grange Hill? It's on BritBox. Yes. Now. Oh, God, I love Grange Hill. I, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't watch it. The performances were so bad. I couldn't watch oh, it. I, I, I don't know whether it's nostalgia because I watched them all at the time, but I've, yeah, I, I loved it. Well, I, hate, so, I hate to contradict you, but you like the Tomorrow People. So, I yeah, tried exactly. watching that the I'm other week as well. My taste. <laughs> Um, they're, I don't think they're very convincing in these roles, but I think they're more convincing as the evacuated girls being a bit naughty than yeah, they are than the, the manifestation of evil. Of the, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure the great big nails do them much <laughs> favour and, yeah. <laughs> the big well, hair. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think... Um, one of the the dark head girl who I can never remember which way around they are. Mm. Um, Jean, I think, is better than. No, no, it's Phyllis who is better than Jean. But there's a scene where they're trying to be seductive in the water, yeah. and they're going in the like, water. Come into the water with the us. Water with us. It's blood warm. So... <laughs> you know, it's really. But. There's, yeah, we there's... laughed about that at the time, Joe. It's fine. There is <laughs> one scene things, so. that's even worse than that, and that is, and Nicholas Parsons is acting his heart out in this scene, where they're going, uh, and you stop believing when the bombs started falling. Started falling. I'm like, oh <laughs> no. And then, then you get McCoy jumping in, going, no, go. Like, I'm like, oh <laughs> no, what's going on here? And like I said, I don't really want to shit all over this because I think there's so much of worth in this story. But there are moments. There are moments where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is still Dr. Rude. Like... <laughs> well, I don't think there is one absolutely perfect story. Oh, there's a challenge. Well, yeah, well, maybe one, but that's... Oh, go on. Well, it's City of Death, isn't it? I Obviously. But I reckon. But then everyone will say, "Oh no, well we've got all that running around Paris. That's just padding." But do you think those bombs look like a load of boobs? <laughs> yes, and um, even at the time, those bombs looked dreadful. <laughs> they um, they're obviously oh. vacuum formed and made in one great big um thing, so they don't quite convince as individual costumes. So, how powerful is this scene? Oh god, this is this is great, and this is where the underplaying of Millington really works, and the underplaying of McCoy's underplaying here. But you can tell he's he's furious and sad, and oh, it's and, so good. Yeah, and it's again with the green mist um, gas as well, sort of playing over them. It yeah, it's so well done, and and the idea where he goes, um, oh you know. Um, Moscow will let you detonate this and say, like, oh, no, we will actually let them do it themselves. And then we'll give yeah. them a cipher that sets it off. It's so fucking insidious and evil. Yeah. And again, it's so, so much on the side of history, uh, again, where they're saying uh, after the war, when Russia is are no longer our allies, which obviously um, from when this was written, obviously came true, but that feels so prescient and right it's it's a really great bit of writing oh 
Here's, here's Christian Anhol with his cap off, sleeves rolled. Oh my god! <laughs> Sorry, I'm just having a moment there. Pretty, oh, pretty. I'm 14 again. He is such a pretty man. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. The other one's very pretty as well. Yeah. Well, this is the problem with this story. You're spoiled for choice. Hey, ain't this story? It's the McCoy era in general. Yeah. I'll tell you what. There's rarely a story where I can get through without a stiffy, if I'm honest. <laughs> Sorry, Sai. No, 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 no. It's fine. I, I completely get it with this one. I really do. Like, there's Mike in Remembrance of the Daleks. There's, yeah, uh, Billy. Oh, Billy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my. I don't really like Bell Mitch. Boy. I don't really like Mitch. Oh, Bellboy. No. He's gorgeous. Bellboy, yeah. Um, Anselin and oh, uh, Mordred, yeah. Just imagine a mass McCoy era hotties orgy. Yeah, it's it's ghostlight really. That's the the missing one, isn't it? But what about Nimrod? <laughs> what about Nimrod? <laughs> Whatever floats your boat. That's yeah, fine. exactly. And just sigh when his face starts peeling off. You know, like <laughs> no. Well, Gwendolyn dresses up as a bloke. There you are. Oh, she does. It's yeah, that's true. Dear. Oh, the chest that seeped through yeah. the McCoy era and certainly lent upon in the new adventures. Oh, absolutely. Do you think this inspired a lot of the new adventures, this story? Oh, absolutely. I think um, at the time, back in 1989, I can remember watching part four and just being on the edge of my seat from the, mo from the moment it started from the recap onwards, because there hadn't been Doctor Who quite like this that I could remember. Mm. And certainly there hadn't been Doctor Who that referred back two seasons worth of stories to say this had all been set up and this is where it was all coming to. It was so new and novel. And so it feels so new series that you've got all these threads that are leading to something big. And okay, we hadn't see, seen a lot of it. It wasn't made obvious in the stories before. But to have a reference to the chess set in Lady Painfort's study, mm. to have the reference to Ace being dragged off by the time storm because of Fenric, yeah. all of that sort of coming together was just jaw-dropping. It was incredible. There would not been storytelling like that in Doctor Who ever. And it's so ahead of its time. To have like yeah. substantial like arc storytelling. It was, yeah, and I just remember sitting there thinking, wow, oh my god, they've never done anything like no. this. This is just so good and so clever and so... Like, Trial of Atano, they did it within a season, didn't they? They started with yeah. Mysterious Planet and they paid but it even off that, in yeah. Old Mofo. But it was a bit clunky yeah. and a bit... It was, you know. but this felt almost quite elegant, like they yeah. put some thought into it before they started. I'm not sure how much of it was picking things up that they'd done and thought, oh, well, yeah, we could connect that. But it felt like it, it all works. belonged. It works, yeah. And it makes the, the era feel, like, coherent as a whole, doesn't yes. it? Yes. Let the chains of Fenric shatter. Um, what's the guy's name who plays... Um... Oh, good grief. Judson. Oh, that's um, Dinsdale Landon phenomenally good like he's really really good and again at the time he was known mostly for being um sort of fussy sitcom characters so bank managers and policemen mm. and, and things like that secret agents in the new avengers and stuff like that 
And so, again, no one really expected very much from his performance in this, but it's so nuanced and so brilliant. What I find interesting is, is he, he finds um, a memorable character in Judson as this sort of slightly nasty eccentric but then he bests that when he plays evil as Fenric, and he's even yeah. better as Fenric. Oh my god, yeah, and suddenly he's witty and mm. funny and dark and horrible and... Do you know what bit always gets me? Is the bit where the gun's pointed at his face and he's got like tears in his eyes and he looks straight yeah. at the... It's the chilling. Uh, it, he's really, mm-hmm. really good. Oh no, this is that scene with the girls. Sorry. Yeah. We've, we've just talked all over that. It's fine. <laughs> Come on, Sai. Play with us. <laughs> oh, now this is interesting because um, Ian Briggs says, uh, he's just said that I've known Millington from before his accident. Yeah. The book makes it explicit. Oh, my God. Yeah, the book is phenomenally good. That's they, one of the best target books ever. They were lovers, weren't they? And yeah. in a moment of jealousy... Uh, Millington caused the accident that broke Judson's yeah, because, leg. Yeah, because Judson was looking at another another more beautiful guy at the time and, and this was, his, has, knocks this, him over and breaks his back. It was originally like a take on Turing, wasn't it? And homosexuality yeah, right, because, was going to be part of the story. Yeah, um, particularly because the story of Alan Turing was only just sort of coming, coming out at this at this point because of the 40-year rule after World War II. So the, the stories were actually filtering out for the very first time and the work of Bletchley Park was coming out. So it was very of its time and of its moment mm. where all these things that no one knew had gone on through the Second World War were coming to the fore. And so, yeah, it it's, yeah, very, very much Alan Turing and his tortured homosexuality. I mean, it doesn't go quite as far as no. as what they actually did to Alan Turing, which is just... But it's a shame that that, that that element didn't make it to the script. And I can see why perhaps JNT would have shied away from that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots lots of things like that in this story, like JNT coming into the office and saying, oh, no, you can't call them vampires. We, we won't get that past BBC One. And then yeah. Andrew Carmel said, OK, well, we'll just change it to Hemovals. Maybe and, maybe he uh, was a little too cautious at this point because he'd been yeah I think so but he'd been bitten so many times yeah. and was tired. But it's interesting because in survival there is Ronan Munros explicitly says there's uh, an exploration not just of Ace's sort of bestial side but potential bisexuality, and yeah. you can completely read that into what's happening between her and Kara in that story. Yeah. Now, do you just think it's because it's subtly done, JNT didn't see it? Yeah, I think, yeah, it's not not sort of as obvious as as it's it might have been if Judson had turned around and said, you caused my accident because... Mm. I know who you are. Don't try, and, don't try and distract me from this scene that's playing out now, all right? <laughs> okay. We have black hearts. We were born from the day we... No, we were... What was it? Lost from the day we there were we, born. Thank you. But look at Nicholas Parsons acting his heart out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then McCoy and Aldred blunder into the scene. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but what the story, what 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 the script is saying here is really quite profound. Absolutely, and particularly the bit about 
um, the British bombs killing German children. That's yeah. And as a result, did. A, a, a man of the cloth has lost his faith in humanity. Yeah. I'm sure. I mean, I'm not, he wouldn't I'm, have been the only one at the time. I'm not sure how subtle it is, but it is. No, awful. it's not. It's not at all subtle, but it it makes its point. I mean, I'm not a lot of Doctor Who at this point was subtle. You've got the whole anti-nuclear war oh. thing in Battlefield, which is is so sigh. <laughs> um, thrown in your face. A child looks up to the sky. His eyes turn to cinders. Is, is this honour? No <laughs> is this war? Are these the weapons you would use? Tell me! <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, for the audience that were watching at the time, that was that was good. Yeah. I, I was probably the target audience at this point, so Skip. I was 14. Okay. It was written yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and it all, all made... It all seemed really deep and powerful to me at the time. I mean, skip back a couple of seasons. The most deep thing you're going to get is, you know, a massacre. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, and I loved the McCoy years. I really genuinely loved this era at the time. I think, I know there are many fans of the Colin Baker era, particularly you, Pete. Hello, Pete. Um, and you did a very eloquent discussion of why season 22 was your favourite season. But also a contributor to New Blake 7 podcast, Maximum podcast Power. Maximum Power. <laughs> I'm doing a better job of this of you at marketing oh. this on here, I tell you. Um, um, what was I saying? But for me, it was very telling that sort of coming back to it, as I did in 1990 when I got. Um, a stash of old videos from from an old school friend as i've talked many times on this podcast um seeing season 22 again um didn't i didn't remember vast swathes of the stories and i watched them a lot because i video recorded a lot of them and and seen them but there was nothing memorable in the way that the davison years had been right. sort of um locked in my head and then the McCoy years were just so, so much bigger and more fun and more colourful. There was no more drab beige sets. There were so many drab beige sets in the Colin Baker era. And coming into time in the Rani, particularly after the end of Trial, so felt like suddenly Doctor it? Who was yeah. in Technicolor again. I mean, I mean, it was a bit too colourful in places and that. My Maybe. eyes started bleeding when I was doing the commentary for that one. <laughs> but <laughs> this felt so breathtaking and the storytelling was so much better and dramatic. And it felt like suddenly... I'd grown back into Do uh, Doctor Who had grown up with me, so the McCoy years were from for me from twelve to fourteen. So it's absolutely to Cartmel's strength that he was adding so much substance and thoughtfulness to the show, and it yeah. was about something again. It was a it was about issues, yeah. you know, and things yeah, that you way, could yeah. debate in the playground. Yeah, and me and my friend Richard, we talked about all these stories to death and beyond because there was so much to talk about, um, particularly the ones we talked about. Um, Remembrance was just 
gobsmacking after yeah. season 24, to be frank. Yeah, it was I like... Bet. Cinematic. A year, yeah, and we'd missed a year. It almost felt like we'd missed a year of Doctor Who in the middle because we'd moved on so far from Dragonfire to Remembrance. Yeah. And this season, we were so excited after season 25 because season 25 had been so good. We were so looking forward to this and we'd sort of got into other bits of fandom sort of taking tentative steps so moved on um from dwm to to fanzine found we found fanzines for the first so we were incredibly excited for season 26 um i think because the storytelling had moved on so great show in the galaxy finishing the season off on a high high really high ratings for doctor who at that time mm. it felt like doctor who was on a wave and it was coming back and we could see all the potential and we were looking forward to seeing what mccoy was going to do this year and his new costume and and all of that it was it felt like the show was getting sort of a bit darker but not not too dark um and just wanted to yeah we were sort of riding a wave of optimism <laughs> i think oh, the stories did live up to that at the time so but... annoying right is in season 26 they fucking got it like it's yeah. like from ghostlight through to survival they've just bottled magic and absolutely and they they, they know how to play to the bbc strengths they're playing to the actors strengths mostly yeah um and then they canned it yeah and it was yeah it was just back on its feet after years of of worry almost about the state of the show and Do you know what my biggest biggest regret is is i think so much of the best genre science fiction television came out of the 90s uh but yeah. some of the star trek shows the x-files um I would have loved to have seen what Doctor Who would have done in the 90s as TV was becoming more sophisticated, more stylish. Like, I bet it would have been amazing. You look at some of like the Red yeah. Dwarf model work and things like that, and you think, man, Doctor Who would have looked great in the 90s. Yeah, it's it's such a, a big regret. It's it's so sad that we did, that it just disappeared and we, we got it from for some two nights only if you can't dimensions in time which i always will oh, yes it's um, one of my favorite things ever and mine <laughs> love it to pieces. you know but, um a regular contributor to this podcast mark rawlins laments now that he wishes it was like like 10 episodes long imagine if mm -hmm. dimensions in time was like an hour long it would be amazing i think only ian levine's got that copy though yes Oh, uh, yeah, and you wouldn't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Ian Levine, continuity advisor, or Ian Levine, porn star? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's completely outrageous he has the same thing. <laughs> they will never, ever find any more missing episodes of Doctor Who, because I've searched everywhere. What's that? <laughs> Web of Fear and <laughs> Enemy of the World are back. <laughs> sorry, Ian, you're an easy target. I'm sorry. Not that he's listening to this, for God's sakes. Okay, what's occurring uh, in Curse of Fenrir right now? So, we've got a glowing, lovely glowing flask. We've got McCoy about to do some clowning. Yeah, he likes doing um, that. Throwing he? boxes around. I mean, let's be honest, on his though, feet. that's kind of his wheelhouse, isn't it? 
Absolutely. Yeah. And it's nice to have a moment of levity because you've always, however serious the story is, you've got to have a couple of moments where the tension comes down for a bit. Why do you imagine she picks up that pot? Do you think she was going to sell it? <laughs> Perhaps it's one of Ace's odd things where she just um, focuses on something. Oh, well, I'll just pick that up. Let me ask you a question then, because I want to delve okay. back into the plotting of this story. So she is one of the walls of Fenric, isn't she? I yes. She's one of the chess pieces that's been manoeuvred here by Fenric yes. in order to what? For her to bring that pot? Well, I'd, that might have been quite an elegant piece of plotting if they'd actually thought of that, other than her thinking, oh, I'll pick it up to put some nitro in it. So what's Where was her she going to get the nitro? What's her part in this whole scheme? I think it's to bring the doctor here. Because the doctor's found her, and so it's all manoeuvring the doctor into position. See. Oh my god, there was something I needed to talk about earlier, and I've completely forgotten. May I do it now? Oh no, what? Well, yeah, do it now. The um, so I criticized Nicholas Mallet earlier the momentum and suspense that is built up in the episode two cliffhanger is phenomenally good. Yes. I always think it's a shame. It is a shame that it should have ended with the Hemovores coming out of the water because that's everyone likes Iconic. a doctor who wants the coming out of the water shot. Um, and it goes back to the doctor and it's a big close up of Sylvester McCoy looking confused. Oh, I do like the line. I think though. it's such a shame. You're too late, doctor. Yeah, I mean, that, that's okay. But I just think there's always this the doctor in. Jeopardy cliffhangers at this point in the show all the time and they've forgotten how to do a good monster coming out cliffhanger this is an episode three yeah which is famous for exposition yeah in Doctor Who history this is a five minute action scene we get here yeah this is this is great and absolutely adored this and Ace climbing down yeah 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 the church tower and using her her um, rope ladder again for dragon fire. Look at McCoy throwing himself at those hemophiles. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> He'll do anything to stop him getting in. But again, it's such a it felt like Doctor Who with the monsters coming in and just everyone well, being. There's a. Uh, I've always said I prefer practical effects over CGI, right? Yeah. Hence my dislike of Babylon Five. Oh, sorry. Um, anyway, um, there's a, a practical effect in a minute where Sorin and the soldiers shoot the Hemovores. It looks yeah. so realistic. Yeah. And they keep, they get up and they keep coming back. Yeah, it's really good. And again, there's one of those, another one of the criticisms that was thrown at 80s Doctor Who was, oh, the monsters are too easy to kill. Um, you don't have any unstoppable monsters now. You can blow up a Dalek with a few bullets. And here you get the monsters that you can't kill with bullets and they get up and they keep coming like the autons or whatever. Yeah, I was thinking about that scene in Terror of the Autos where the one gets driven off the edge and then it just gets yeah, up and, and it gets back. up. And it's a similar and that's what we wanted. And they're fucking grisly. Look at them. Yeah, they're, they're a phenomenal piece of design. I mean Although, what is that bone sticking out of that one's head? I don't know. It, it, they're just they're just horrible, aren't they? Well, and so the inference the is, is so, um, 
distorted as well. So they've That's been under the it. water, and the inference is what? These are all barnacles and things that have stuck yeah, to their faces. Yeah, stuck to them. Yeah. Oh, it's horrible. And, but I don't know what it was about season 26 and monsters being blue. But, uh, but, what, what did we have? The Destroyer? Because we got the Destroyer and these. So. Yeah. Wow. Maybe we've just not had blue monsters before, so they, they're doing something different. But I mean, it's a triple whammy, isn't it? You've got the vampire girls, you've got the hemogors, yeah. and then you've got like Fenric with the red eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when oh, we get to it, I think the ancient one is a, a great piece of design as well. What's marvelous is as well, they're all dressed up in like period clothes. One's yeah. wearing one's wearing like a bus conductor's cap. Yeah, one's yeah, one's got a frilly really cooks cat is a one dressed up as like a viking as well like the idea yeah. is is they're all from all throughout time aren't they yeah from different periods i wonder if he uh, mentioned you know he, he says all the companions names now to yeah uh, i wonder if he mentioned um adric and dodo <laughs> did he mention katarina and sarah kingdom just to make them oh, canonical companions he could have literally <laughs> solved all of those debates couldn't he yeah that's, that's nice. I like, I think, yeah, using the doctor's faith in his friends is, is a lovely thing. That's what he's got faith in more than anything. That scene a second ago of the um, the stakes inside the goo, yeah, that was completely excised. Yeah, there wasn't, any, yeah, you didn't see that. I mean, it's grisly, isn't it? It's pretty, pretty yeah. sick. So now, right, right the way up until the end of this story, I think the pace is fairly relentless. Yeah, and, and I think particularly from the moment where um, the uh, Reverend Wainwright is killed, yeah. it doesn't let up for a second till the end. And then you've got the relief of Ace diving into the water. Yeah, well, what I think we, much, need to, yeah. we need to talk about that. Okay. The on-the-nose metaphor <laughs> that's occurring there. <laughs> um, oh, see, now look, this is Ace's periodic uh, romance here. Yeah. Oh, I can't blame her. He's bloody lush. Yeah, again, there's such chemistry between the two of them, her and Tomic Bork. Very and much. It's really lovely watching it, watching the documentary that they did for the Blu-ray set, where they reunite and they reveal that they've been friends ever since. And oh, I love that. Tomek went to his 60th birthday party and, and things like that. And it's just... Can yeah. I tell you about two others that occurred? Yeah. So Jacqueline Hill and the woman who played Jenny in Dalek Invasion. Yeah. Oh, yes. They were friends to, to the end of Jacqueline Hill's life. And Pixen, Pixen Ling and Corporal Bell. They were friends really? their whole, their oh, whole life. Goodness. They say in the Mind of Evil commentary, they met there and they've been the best of friends ever since then. Oh, you see, that's what Doctor Who's about, isn't it? What, bringing people together? Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not saying a word, but yeah. It's... No, you don't need to. <laughs> we know. <laughs> oh, God. a bloody Nitro 9, honestly. Yeah. Hanging out with a pyrotechnic. Mm-hmm. Again, as a 14-year-old, and particularly the other boys at school, they all really loved Sophie. She was she was a yeah, pin many boys at school. And they loved that she was so gung-ho and attacking Daleks with baseball bats and blowing things up. Mm. Of course, they weren't. They wouldn't admit that they were actually watching Doctor Who, but they knew exactly what was going on in Doctor Who every week so that they could come and take the piss out of it. But don't to you me, love, on a 
Thursday morning or whatever. And you love as well that they don't lean into her being overtly feminine. Like, like, she, no. so, so she's got, she, you know, her dialogue's fairly masculine. She's quite violent. In Ghostlight, they dress her in a suit for a bit. I mean, yeah. they go both ways in a suit and then into a dress. In this, I don't think that's overtly feminine what she's wearing now. No, but it it was so refreshing to have a companion dressing for the era. Yeah, and I think particularly after Remembrance, where you could have had a dressed in sixties fashion and things like that. Here they put support. They're coming. They know they're coming to the nineteen forties. So Ace is dressed, but she's still wearing her jacket. That's what happened in um, series 11 to series 12. Remember see all the historicals in series 11 where Yaz, Graham and Ryan were just in their regular clothes. Yeah. And then they suddenly realised. And then series 12, every time they went back in time, they were dressing yeah, they'd up. they learned. Yeah. Exactly. And I think Ace has learned here. These girls, I'm sorry, going around with their massive fingernails. <laughs> How do they yeah. open any yeah. doors? How do they do anything with those nails? I think aside from some very dodgy McCoy and Aldridge scenes coming up, we're pretty much on a straight run of just brilliant scenes from yeah. this point in. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I, it doesn't let up now. And when does all the exposition hit in this story? Right episode at the climax. Yeah. Right at the end. We haven't stopped in episode three to, to do an info dump about Fenric or what's going on. They're on the move all the time, and they're doing these bits and pieces. And literally, they... it's literally the conclusion where he's, he explains the entire yeah. plot, you know? <laughs> they're inhuman! Human! Oh, that's, that's good. I like that bit of backstory about the ship. And the... Yeah, and it's really nasty. Yeah. It was, And you hear their hammering. And then it stops. All oh, the soldiers are all about to come together in episode four. I'm getting very excited. <laughs> well, the pawns are fighting together now. Oh, that scene. My God, if I could jump into any mm -hmm. scene in Doctor Who, those two. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, to be the meat in that sandwich. Oh, please. <laughs> Soren's a great character, though. Do you know why? Because he yes. could have been incredibly cliched. And... Yeah, but he plays it with with such warmth. And... Yeah. yeah, yeah, it could have been it could have been a very sort of um, coldly played character that we don't like. Yeah, but because of, uh, as well because of his relationship with Ace, that forms okay very quickly. There's an instant attraction there, but yeah. I don't know. We, we, you know, anyone who loves their companion, we love. Well, exactly. And you're on their side because you think, well, Ace has seen something good in him. He must be good. And it works with Mike in Remembrance very well as well, doesn't it? You don't doubt that he's he's a good guy because he's with all the good guys. And they and play so on that, don't they? Like, like that's, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're even nasty. Um, Sai, why don't you dive back into DWB? And give us some more oh, treats. Let's have a look. Um, what have we got? Let's Name and shame. Well, you know, um, I, the one scene that everyone points out doesn't quite work is the evil since the dawn of time scene, bizarrely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, okay, I'm not going to disagree with these people. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, 
Gavin Carville says the Curse of Fenric has got to be one of the best stories this decade. It was exciting, funny, sad, and really frightening in some places. Acting all round was excellent, except for Nicholas Parsons, who was very disappointing. What? Okay, I'll disagree with him now. Yeah. Oh, sorry, this scene where she gets the letter. Oh, this is heartbreaking. She, um, she is so good. So absolutely, she doesn't say a word. No. And Marquez's score is beautiful here. It's unusual with this invested in guest characters as well. Yeah. But look at her. She as I as Sophie reads it, she's just in tears. She's just. And this is Cartmel injecting feeling into the show again. Char yeah, proper character moment. But then look, he does hang about, straight back to the plot again, all those numbers being spat out of the ultimate machine. Yeah. Oh no, oh no, this is it. I'm going to do it. You know what's going on, don't you? Yes. You yeah. always know you just can't be bothered to tell anyone. It's like a game. It's some kind of game. Wait for it, wait for it, hang on. Yes. And you're not telling me. No, that's not it. I want to know evil since before the dawn of time. Some of the immediate questions. Okay. The beginnings of beginnings. In chaos, time is born. At a space, the universe cries out like a newborn. Newborn. Off you go. Go on, your turn. Clouds outwards. <laughs> because remain. Pure. <laughs> Evil! Oh my god, is Cassia here? Pure evil! <laughs> before your eyes! Oh my god, it's really Act terrible. like a genie. <laughs> but to be fair, right, it's fairly overdone dialogue how, as well. Yeah, how how else are you supposed to play that? I'm, yeah. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a difficult one. But I'm going to say it, it's, it's above their ability to perform. Yeah, because it's not playing to his strengths. He's not good at the angry acting. He's not good at, no. at that. I've and forgotten he, about this. They just went, yeah, this, and this is not necessarily a great <laughs> Sigh. But, mm -hmm, yeah. There's a wind whipping up through my clothes. I can what? feel it against my skin. Well, faster than the second hand on a clock. <gasps> Much faster. <laughs> Sometimes I move hardly so even fast. Cruised. Oh yeah, hardly, hardly even cruising speed. <laughs> oh my god! If I flirted with a guy like this, he'd be like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> I usually just go out and say, "I usually just go up and say, i oh, 'I'll just unzip. I'm going down.'" <laughs> <laughs> it was World War Two. It was a different time. You had to go go for clocks and time and what you had to go for well, metaphor. I think so. But what is she we saying? We've seen a companion do that for a long time, That's use true. their femininity in that kind of way. And I think it's shown how Ace had grown up. Do you know what the funniest version of that is? What's that? It's Donna and the Doctor's daughter. I've got this one. Oh. And he's like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't understand. What is the metaphor here? Oh, God knows. Again, it was rewritten because 
it was supposed to be a really hot day. And so ah, it was supposed to be, you okay. know, I'm hot, I need to take my clothes off, blah, blah, blah. And then it was absolutely fucking freezing on location. <laughs> Wasn't this another one of those freak weather conditions stories where they had rain and snow and... Snow? Yeah, and it would... It, was written to be filmed second so it should have been filmed where they would uh at the time they did battlefield but they were switched in the running order because of nicholas courtney's availability so it was written for summer when actually you've got really cold spring it works better though i think i think the the bad i think yeah and it's all mucky and I don't know. It's, and it's muddy and yeah. yeah, really muddy. Doctor Who been... isn't dirty enough. This is really no, dirty. And this story. is a really dirty story. Not not filthy <laughs> dirty, but well, dirty. I don't know. She was just saying about things coming to the surface. I don't know what she's talking about there. <laughs> Maybe if when she's talking about cruising speed, like she's saying, you know, get on top of me and then we'll reach, you know. <laughs> Will reach a faster speed. I don't know. I'm just not sure what they're talking about. Yeah. Do you want to hear the worst shout line I've ever heard? Okay, go on. Okay, so um, I'll, I'll, I'll try it out on you, all right? Right. Sai, um, that jumper looks very becoming on you. <laughs> Wait, I'm not finished. Why don't you... No, why don't you take it off and put me on, and then I'll be coming on you. <laughs> Someone, oh, awful. someone tried that on me. I won't tell you how did the night work? ended. Yeah, it did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go. So here we are. <laughs> We're building up to another exciting climax. We are. Yeah, this is... I remember this being one of those Doctor Who episodes where it got to the end of part three. And it was one of those minutes where I'm just there shouting at the screen, don't stop now. No, no, no. We've yeah. got to such a great bit. Oh, my God. And this it's is so the, the the outro line. We played a contest played again. Contest again. Bumface. <laughs> Bumface. <laughs> Why is that bumface? a long joke, that one. <laughs> Bumface. Imagine but if you said it's, that. It's the subtle way Judson stands up in the background, and you don't notice it to begin with. And if it, no, oh. and his eyes open, and it's the McCoy era. They love, eyes. yeah, they love glowing eyes in this era, don't they? It's so good. Oh my god, he's so good now. Yeah, you left me in the shadow dimensions for 17 centuries. Oh, he gets a nice, he gets a nice new effect here as he, yeah, zooms away. That's really good. And again, McCoy's so still and he's just all on his face. And then you think the danger's over. Brilliant. And then they're going to be executed. Yeah. And it doesn't doesn't stop now. No, I don't know. Although, there is a bit with Sophie Aldred in the second where she goes, Mama, go away! <laughs> That's not good. Killing us won't make any difference! That's the uh, where Anne Reed looks at Millington. That was cut as well, for some reason. Yeah. Oh my god, the rain adds so much to this scene. And I know that's yeah. fake rain they put on there. Who cares? Mm -hmm. They're gonna be shot up against the wall. Yeah. It's nasty. It's and then they then the others attack, and that's already been set up that they're approaching. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My god, so it's so Look exciting. Look, it's and all bang. And all the it's action so is um shrouded in mist as well. Yeah. 
and it's like all the explosions and salt. Yeah, it's it's brilliant, brilliant. I'll tell you what, if we don't, aren't encouraging people to go and watch this with all our excitement, nothing will. Oh, that's a great line. I was expecting something more Aryan. Aryan, yeah. I want him here now. And I want him. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. This is the one bit where I think the girls work. As they're in the dark and they're being shot and all, all the breaths coming out of their exactly, mouths. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're only effective because they ain't saying nothing. <laughs> That's, so, that, oh, uh, my God. I can't even imagine a child watching this. Mm-hmm. That's fucking well, terrifying. Yeah. But there must have been... Uh, you were watching it as a child, weren't you? No, uh, no, 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 no. I watched you Battlefield, not... and I don't... Oh. No, I was so traumatised by the end of episode two, I didn't see the rest of the season. Oh, no! Oh, okay. But then my mum said I could watch the next season. Mm-hmm. Oh! <laughs> um, one of the most exciting things about this story was the extended video version coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, remember that that really vividly. It was so exciting to have a Doctor Who story with bits of Doctor Who that you've not seen before. It seemed such a huge development. It was so ahead of the game, really. Uh, now, every film nearly gets a director's cut or whatever yeah, yeah, a little yeah. while after its release or you get the cinematic cut and then the extended version for for DVD or, or Blu-ray or whatever. Excuse but to have Doctor Who like that, recuts and um, all these new bits added in. May I was... may I interject? You may. Well, what about the Silver Nemesis extended edition with extra <laughs> Mrs. Remington scenes? <laughs> well, nothing's perfect. Oh, what about the bit where she she watches the blimp going up for her binoculars? Oh, yeah, okay, I'll give it that. Amazing. But I love this story, and to think that there was more of it to come was, was, yeah. That line, did you hear that line there? How English, everything stops for tea. Perfect. He's, like, he's, like, sometimes the, um... The, you you want to script evil like madly over the top, and lots of Doctor Who stories do that. They don't do that here, or no, those lines could be played madly over the top, but um, the guy playing Judson brings it right down, you know. Yeah, and it's just little touches like the smiles he yeah. gives whenever anyone's when he's watching oh, people no. be killed. Here we go. Like that. You are summoned. You must obey. You must obey. Oh, it's. And- What's his name? The Ancient One. The Ancient One, yeah. He's terrifying. He's a, yeah, and it's a good piece of design. And he's like, a, he's like a super nice. Isn't he? He's a nice guy. Yeah, he's lovely. Mm-hmm. But we don't know that yet because all the Hemovores no. have been evil so far. Don't you love the fact that um, Fenric is utterly hoisted by his own petard? Perfect. He creates. The the horrible wasteland earth and the hemovores and the ancient one, and the ancient one gets his revenge. Yeah, it's a nice bit of writing that is. Oh my God, that's a great line. Don't interrupt me when I'm eulogizing. Don't do when I'm eulogizing. 
yeah, it's all those little touches that make the Fenric Judson different to Dr. Judson. Did you know that the guy who played Millington was in a relationship with one of the guys from the beginning of Frontier in Space? And before yeah. Frontier in Space aired, so the guy had acted in it. He was one of the two in yeah. the first episode in the ship. That guy had had a, a, a really bad seizure, was disabled for the rest of his life. And the guy who played Millington looked after him for 30 oh, years. Wow. That's yeah, that's a wonderful. I didn't know that. My god, I know you can still learn new things, absolutely. And there's something great about having a gay man play that role, yeah, as well. I think that's that's good. Nothing like the shock I got when I found out that Alan Rowe and Jeffrey Bailden were in a relationship. Oh, wow, no, years. that was that was a shocker, wasn't it? I know. And that Marco and Giuliano were in a relationship. <laughs> well, I think that's spelled out very clearly on screen. That did you see those horrible scabby faces from that toxin? Yeah, God, we haven't oh. had a good scabby face in Doctor Who since Resurrection of the Daleks. What's happening to me? What's happening to me? Stay away! <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Clearly, you need to have a lot of the toxin because there's a fair bit of smoke going around in there. There seems yeah, to be unaffected. Exactly. And they're not falling over and dying. Oh my they? god, this stunt is amazing where they were jump. Oh, yeah. Is the bit I love is the umbrella flying towards the camera as they as they jump. That there is no way that they meant for that explosion to be that powerful. No. It's the McCoy era, isn't it? They're yeah. really good at a, at an explosion at this point. So you know what peak McCoy explosion is, isn't it? It's the end of Great Show in the Galaxy. Great Show, yeah, with McCoy walking casually away. Yeah. Super cool. I see. I was almost sad when Justin was no longer Fenric, but I think the guy who plays Soren is just yeah, as good. Very good. And he yeah. completely changes his cadence. So how he's saying the dialogue. He's yeah. suddenly very well spoken, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love this scene with McCoy and and Sophie when they're cleaning each other, and it's just so. It's just. No, no, I saw it in a suitcase. Ah, there we go. Go for a chess set. That's what we're after. Get Kathleen back in the plot. And again, that's really good because you saw her packing it earlier in the story. So that's quite nicely done. And they said, didn't they? I want all the chess sets confiscated. Exactly. So nice little little touch there. So Soren has gone to steal the ultimate machine, which is Millington's plan, yeah. isn't it? That the Russians are going to come in, steal it, take it away, yeah. and they'll blow they'll poison all of Moscow. Instead, now he's going to go and destroy it. Mm -hmm. So he's already breaking whatever programming or, or exactly. plan. So maybe that's a little hint that maybe Fenric's plan is not as robust as he thinks it is. <laughs> well, that's a very Doctor Who villain thing, isn't it? Where they think they've planned for every eventuality, and it turns out that they haven't planned for humans doing something unpredictable. You know what I said? You can't let Fraser Gregory hear this, all right? Okay, right, right, between us two. Because you know what I said about the Timeless Children and all that exposition? 
and and for yeah. instance, like, well, no, because we're actually getting to see it, blah blah blah. Yeah. So there's some exposition in this story where they start talking there about um, uh, taking bones out of desert bones sands and carving them into chess pieces. I wish that had been intercut with like a slideshow because I'd love to have seen that. <laughs> it's um yeah, it's all detailed in the book. It's one of the, the mm. um, early chapters. Is the Doctor and Fenric's chess game mm. with the implication that it's Mel there with him? Mel, as I read it, yeah, very early, sort of Seventh Doctor. Wow, so he was up to no good really early. Yeah, whilst he was buffooning about in Delta and the Balamen between stories, he's off carving chess pieces out of desert sand. No bones from desert yeah. sands. sands. Oh no, look, they're all vampires. Oh, just move, now. just move, go on, just move, man. Oh no, they've got you. I think maybe he thought he might be in for some kinky fun time there. That's why he stayed. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, see, now in a minute, right, it's one of those rare scenes where Ace is hysterical and I actually buy into it. It's the bit where yeah. she's like, just go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 17 old terrorists, size, 17 old terrorists. 17 old terrorists, say it. <laughs> go to Streatham. <laughs> <laughs> oh god it's almost as bad oh, as yaz, yaz sending her mum off to where was it birmingham no yeah gloucester gloucester <laughs> something like that oh look at this mm -hmm. make them scream for their terrible acting yeah, yeah. there we go <laughs> sorry if you can hear me eating i'm eating a pop tart <laughs> oh my god he's so pretty mm -hmm. i've got a friend on facebook um who has like a um he teaches uh languages he teaches yeah. english to russian people so he's he's a russian called vadim and they look very similar and my god uh... he, he's just as gorgeous you know <laughs> he'll never be listening to this but he's just as gorgeous so we're go we're going full base under siege now. Oh my god, are, this bit, yeah. mm -hmm. this bit where Anne well, Reed's first killed. of all, we're going to get Anne Reed killed, which is just great. It's one of my no. favourite scenes in the yeah. story. This it's one, so good. Almost a mother treating me like a child. I think this is what Doctor Judson would have wanted. <laughs> I wish so. And again, he gives such a great big grin at the end of it. That really makes his character. It's yeah. really, really good. Why does Millington want to wipe out the Russians? Because uh, he doesn't trust anyone. He's so paranoid. But why the Russians? Surely it'd be the Germans at this point. Well, I think he's just suspicious of everyone. And because they, they've put in the plot to get rid of the Russians anyway, so he's he's just working against everyone. Is it because they could, could find Russian actors and not German ones? <laughs> I think there was also um, a feeling that they didn't want to do the Nazis. And it taken Doctor Who 25 or 26 years to do a story set in the Second World War. So I think... It was quite a good decision in general. I think it would have been too raw earlier on in the run, maybe, for, for certain parts of the viewership to have done an action 
fantasy adventure in World War Two. And again, it's um, kind of different to use the Russians. The Germans are almost so obvious. Yeah. That actually doing something different is, is clever. As obvious as putting Hitler in a cupboard. Oh, dear. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. Let's not talk about that. Mm-hmm. Comedy Hitler. Jesus. Well done, Moffat. Um, <coughs> can I say, um, would you say that Curse of Fenric is innocent or guilty for creating the chess motif that then went on to monstrous proportions in the new adventures? Like, oh, that was... ridiculous proportions. Yeah, the player of chess on a thousand boards. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, the uh, Andrew Cartmel is responsible for a whole lot of new adventures rubbish. <laughs> And for creating the Doctor as a as a lonely god who who stands above everything yeah. and is better than everything. People blame Russell um, T Davis for that, but it was already happening. But it was it was very much a New Adventures motif, and I think they took it to really stupid extremes. What did you think about all like the insane amounts of violence and sex that was in the New Adventures? It's it. It's kind of like Torchwood in that it's an adolescent image of what being adult is about and making so. making um, adult fantasy. Um, it, it felt quite thrilling and different at the time. Because again, I think I've mentioned to you in the past that it felt very much like Doctor Who was growing up with me at this time. So starting in 1979, when I was four, I was 14 when this season went out. So I was 16 when the first New Adventures came out. So I was the perfect age. And it was it was the exactly the kind of Doctor Who that I wanted at the time. But looking back, it's not very Doctor Who-y a lot of the time. Well, I, and, I think they, they managed to carve out a universe quite vividly don't yeah. they? like overall and, and they populate oh, it with a lot yeah. of characters but i would genuinely say because i came to them late so i'd already read a lot and then came back to the new adventures and read them at like i think i was like 25 or something like that mm-hmm. and i was just appalled at some of the pros some of the amateurish the plotting that was there and I, i'd say about a third of them are very good and a third of them are okay, and a third of them are just the most dribble. abysmal books I've ever read. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I won't name and shame, like, but um, no, no, maybe I will. Leg- Legacy. Oh God, the pit. Oh, the pit. Yeah. Time worm apocalypse. Um. Oh Jesus. Deceit. It, it did a lot. It did a lot of good because it gave so many people the chance to write for the first time, which was. A really great thing. But it felt um, like it was for the first time. That's the trouble. Yeah. And yeah, and it's a, a period I look back on sort of fondly, but also I don't like a lot of the things that they did. I don't buy the doc the doctor's behaviour and characterization a lot of the time. I was much fonder of the eight doctor books. Yes. I felt they felt more like Doctor Who to me. Now I think they are still variable in quality. Oh, absolutely! But some of those eight Doctor books, Interference, The Crooked World, City of the Dead, Camera Obscura—they're terrific Doctor Who. 
Yeah, I, uh, particularly that period from the burning onwards for a little while. Those, there were, I think there was a run of five really fantastic novels at that point. The Turing that? Test. Oh, fantastic. Father Time? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you remember um, The Tomorrow Windows? That was quite a late Yeah. One. Oh, God, I loved The Tomorrow Windows. That was, that was brilliant. Yeah. And uh, The Sleep of Reason by Martin Day, the one set in the Asylum. Terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, nothing so, yeah, to do with I, Curse I, of I Fenric. But the, that's, that's the Curse of Fenric's legacy, isn't it? Those books. Yeah, it it, cre- it sets up everyone wanted a dark doctor. But actually, the doctor should be sort of the hope. And, and the, what was the book where Ace stabs the doctor? Oh, no. And, and things like that. And The end of the, Love and War. But everyone, everyone says the end of Love and War is great. And she's like, oh, I fucking hate you. I'm like, oh, well, but it's, fun. it's dreary drama. And I think I've touched on this before that actually, I think I was talking about it with Jason after he was talking about something where um, sometimes it feels like Doctor Who should be above those petty things and should be just sort of more world and He was talking about that on Twitter the other day about the sex comedy right. in Moffat's era. And he said, basically, what's the dreariest thing you can do with a show as imaginative as Doctor Who that can do anything creatively? And that's just right, you know, painful sex comedy. Exactly. And it's the same as putting Ace in a tight-fitting rubber costume and making her a mercenary. That's the last thing Ace would have done. And I'm so glad that Pete McTee um, sort of redressed that for his little season 26 teaser for the blu-ray where she's doing something really wonderful that's what ace would have done there's no way she'd have been a space mercenary but the new adventures did give us bernie summerfield and i love exactly so that yeah i mean that's worth its weight in gold Mm. but then they treated bernice terribly a lot of the time so but then she went on to have her own spin-off show and i thought yeah and she's still going now the audios they do with lisa bauman are just terrific Um, anyway, back to the Curse of Fenric. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all tied in because Doctor Who was coming to its end at this point, even if I didn't realise it at the time. It, this is the tail end. I'm going to confess something, though, that might lose me listeners. <laughs> okay. I would sacrifice all that spin-off media for Doctor Who being a television series in the 90s. Yeah, me too. Absolutely would. Although that I don't was know. what I wanted. I wouldn't want to lose a TV movie because I love it to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, here we go. Oh, here we go. What is that shitty line all about? That makes no sense. Still, good shock moment. Oh, there we go. I just can't believe. Nick Mallet directed Richard Briers in Paradise Towers episode four, and he yeah. directed the two villains in this episode four. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it's just a different, different level altogether. It ain't and a world apart; it's a multiverse apart. Mm-hmm. And that's the joy of Doctor Who, isn't it? Really, that in two years 
they've turned it round so much. This is so different yeah. to season 24. Oh, for sure. And I that, love season 24. Oh, I, I adore really it. do. I adore season 24. I actually think McCoy is stronger in 24 than he is in 26. Oh, yes, you've said that before yeah. because it's playing more to, mm. to him. But he's so good here because he's quiet and still. You know what happens in 24 is the stories are so heightened, he brings it down. Exactly. Whereas in this season, the stories are kind of brought down, so he takes it up, and that's not mm-hmm. his, that's not his wheelhouse. She would have a daughter. And that, that daughter, daughter is, is you. You've you just created, created your, your own future. future. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> the baby is your mother. The mother you hate. Well, you 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 put too much of a H in there. The mother, you it. (laughs) But again, I think Sophie is really good in these scenes because she's not she's not saying anything. It's all on her face. Yeah, and I really hate this flashback. I hate it too. It's unforgivable. It's so good. If the original episodes trusted the audience to figure it out. I hate it when you, just, when they spell it, things out to you. Two minutes ago, it's not long. You remember that scene in Terror of the Vervoids where the McGarrian doesn't switch on his translator, yeah. and then we watch the whole scene again, and then they say the McGarrian yeah. didn't switch. Like, trust your audience, mate. Come yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Oh, this what the Doctor does to Ace now. I know it's for her own good, it's but it's horrible. Yeah, yeah, but it's horrible. It's a horrible way of dealing with her angst. See, we say about the chemistry between McCoy and Aldred, but what the Doctor puts Ace through in this season, it's it's fairly problematic, I think. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And doing it for her own good. And then, okay, one thing I'm pleased about that the next season didn't come along is because that weird twist that he was training her up to be a Time Lord. Mm-hmm. No. That's just strange, isn't it? <laughs> That's it, Si. We're going to have a toxic friendship from now on. And I'm just training okay. you up to be a Time Lord, all right? <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to... Yeah, I'm going to take you back through all your old past traumas, Joe. But it's for your own good. Fucking hell, there's so many. Take your pick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start in that haunted house you blew up. And we'll go from there. <laughs> you tricked me. This is Perivale. <laughs> oh, but you want to talk about McCoy being bringing it down and being amazing? That scene after that, in yeah, uh, when he's talking about I love bus stations, mm-hmm. terrible places. <gasps> he's amazing yeah. in that scene. It's magical that scene. And this scene was magical again, as I said earlier. Just getting all of these plot threads picked yeah. up felt like. Just something Doctor Who had never done. Do you know what's weird, actually, is... Okay, I'm going to make a comparison with Moffat again, right? Moffat promises lots at the beginning of a season, yeah? Huge questions, big mysteries, impossible girl, girl who waited, the Doctor's Mm going to die, the hybrid, and fucking fails to deliver practically every single time, yeah? At the end, it's had some damn squib conclusion. They make no promises here at all, because you don't know... and they no, deliver. And then they pull it out of the bag. Huge, yeah. 
Yeah. And that's yeah, that's that's really really good. Oh, this is, and that's why it was such a surprise in 1989. This is a brilliantly over the top death. Look at them both going down. Yeah. Oh no, here we go. Leave me alone! Leave me alone! Oh, that was cut as well. Look that melted hemoglobin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there were uh, supposed to be shots of the chest pieces melting and all sorts, but. Um, there was a problem and it didn't get captured properly on, on videotape or it got wiped. Okay, there's a, a weird bit of editing here because McCoy's hand's clearly covered in mud and if you look now... Yeah, and then suddenly it's... It's all gone. Yeah. I mean, look how muddy it is. Oh, it's horrible, isn't it? Is this the day it snowed? Yeah, and they were hosing down the snow. So it's extra muddy. Uh, extra muddy. I think Sophie Aldridge said that um, they had fabulous time on location in the hotel yeah. on this one. I think there's fabulous chemistry between the whole cast. Mm. And it beams off the screen, I think. Yeah. When a cast gels. Okay, mm-hmm. so I did say I wanted to talk about this final scene, right? You did. Because I, I very much appreciate that it's trying to tie up this little character story for Ace and show yeah. her being rebirthed as mm-hmm. as a more centered human being who's come to terms with her hate for her mother but it's so on the fucking nose i'm telling you yes just hearing all the voices echoing round as she dives i'll always love you i'll always love you i'll always love you oh, but i love you is that supposed to be a whale or a baby <laughs> it's a baby oh but you know, again, as a fourteen-year-old, I thought that was yeah. was clever and brilliant. So, and again, it is trying to add subtleties to the character, yeah, and mm. and develop her. Like we've never had yeah. really character development for a companion. So, no, not like this. What I'll say is this: is it is a, a good stab at taking the show in a mature direction. It is perhaps a little bit overdone yeah it's it's a tentative step like a lot of the mccoy years they're not they're not quite there yet but they're giving it a go and they're it's paving the way for what they're going to do when it comes back in 2005 in so many ways yeah where i feel like they pick up the threads of this season a lot i mean i don't mean literally but like the tone of it having a grounded companion that goes on a journey, yeah. a relationship between the Doctor and the Companion, which is is vital to the show. But Russell T. Davis is just the master at character work, and yeah. mm-hmm. so so he can do that with incredible skill. Yeah, and um, to be fair to Andrew Cartmel, he hasn't quite got. He's not on the same level as Russell T. Davis. I don't know. Have you not read his script Doctor book? No, not that one. Oh, I've read, his, I've read his ego. What was, what was the <laughs> other book. one? He wrote where he's talking oh, about. Through yeah. time. Oh, my oh, God. God. That was, yeah, I had to stop reading that because I was so furious with him by the end of it. And I didn't script edit this one, so it's not as good as what I would have done. I threw it at the wall, and I very rarely throw books at the wall. But yeah, it was um, a dreadful. Book. Oh, he's going, and then he it's gets so... to, he gets to like Ghostlight and says, "Well, this is the best Doctor Who story ever written." I'm like, yeah. I mean, he's it's... quite. He's got an ego yeah. as Andrew Cartmel. He has, but do you know what? 
Christopher Ace Bidmead has an ego, yeah. Yes. But I'd say that's justified. Yeah, I'm not quite sure that Andrew Cartmel is is the greatest person to have worked on Doctor Who ever. But, but he did so much good stuff and he really did. Yeah, I don't know. It's all it's, it's all balances. It's a reinvigoration of the show in those last Oh, years. absolutely. And if nothing else, he brought so many new and great voices to Doctor Who and he was trying something different and he was pushing the character of the Doctor in yeah. a different way to how anyone else had approached it and the storytelling has moved on such a huge notch from the Saywood era. Wouldn't you the say characterization? Would you say like in the mid eighties the show was running on the spot, but here he showed that there were possibilities again. Yeah, uh, for sure. I think he reinvigorated the show for its last three years. All right. So I'm going to just ask you to do one thing before I ask you to do the final thing. Okay. Because <laughs> I think J and T had three very different script editors uh, in yeah. Bidmead. Saywood and Cartmel, um, and the show is very different in each of their hands, even though John Nathan Turner's there the whole time. Yeah, how would you rank them from best to worst? <laughs> well, I'd say season 18 is my favorite season of Doctor Who ever, so Bidmead can do very little wrong. I'm not going to say he can't do any wrong because there are things he does that aren't brilliant, but I think. He that season of Doctor Who is just near on perfect for me. So he's at the top. Carmel in the middle, Saywood at the end. Oh, but Saywood did loads of good stuff as well. I'm not sure he was he he may have been better off as the lead writer on Doctor Who under another script editor. And I think he'd have knocked it out of the park yeah. as the go-to come and write a fantastic story this year person. I think with JNT and Bidmead, yeah, they're going on an exciting new journey together. Yeah, and, and they're and on the same page. Barry Letts is there as well, so it's so yeah. like so in terms of balance. in terms of like um, writing, it's exceptional. Um, I think with JNT and Eric Saywood, you've got two people that one's one wants light entertainment, one wants drama, and they're pulling it in two directions. Yeah, and it doesn't it shows on screen a lot of the time the tensions between that, and you've got a script editor who doesn't like the Doctor very much, which yeah. doesn't help, and so he doesn't give the Doctor the push that it should, and you you see that sort of time again in the Davison era that some writers will come in and really give the character a character and other times he's an exposition machine and just there to tell you what's going on around him um with cartmail with colin yeah um mm. sorry with cartmail you basically jnt has essentially creatively phoned out of the show he's yeah. still putting the money on the screen he's still getting the actors in he's still driving the publicity but essentially he but, gives cartmail a free reign he says just write it you know Absolutely, and I think that pays off because you've got suddenly a script editor who can go through, just do what he needs to do and get yeah. different voices, different stories onto the screen. JNT will occasionally come up and say, oh, we should have a story in a circus or we should do this. And Cartmel takes that and says, well, okay, yeah, we'll do this. And I think that, that works really well. And I think they were a good team at the end of the I show. I agree. I absolutely agree. And I and I would say that the strongest J&T seasons are 
I love 22, but I won't say it's strongest in terms of I, do, I just love it because I love Colin and I love the mad nostalgia yeah. and the violence and the bleak horror and I love it. But I say the strongest seasons are 18 and 26, and that's yeah, and it's the yeah. Of his era. Yeah. And I kind of think that's quite nice to come in and go out on your and strongest. He went year. out on a high. He did. Yeah, he really did. Sort of after 10 years, that's that's yeah, there aren't many people who go out on a creative high after that length of time on, on anything, really. Well, so I'd like to ask you to recommend three things about The Curse of Fenwick before we go out, please. Okay. One, the music. The music mm. is fantastic, and it is just it justified its place as the first soundtrack to have a full release because it's just brilliant. Marquez knocks it out of the park here, and I think it's his best work on the show. I think, yeah, he doesn't put get a note wrong there. Um, two is the tying up of the whole era unexpectedly in those scenes in part four, which was just so jaw-droppingly brilliant at the time. Just made me really sort of stand up and take notice and think, wow, they've never, ever done anything like this in Doctor Who. That's good. And three, I'm going to nominate Perkins because he's just so bloody gorgeous. <laughs> and and I have a shot, I have shallow moments as well, as much as anyone. But he will yeah, uh, that was an important moment in my life. You can you can always indulge your shallow moments on this podcast, you know. Absolutely. Um, okay, I'm gonna throw what in three more. Then, Joe? Uh so I'm gonna say the all on location was just inspired and placed yeah. to Nicholas Mallet's scripts. That's JNT coming up with and saying, oh, hang on, we can do it like this. And it's his production knowledge that, that gets that through. I would say uh, I'd highlight three guest performances, and that is uh, Justin Sorin and Wayne Wright. I think they're all three of those performances perfect. are pitch perfect. And number three, I'd say episode four. Now, there are certain episodes of Doctor Who that I think are perfect unto themselves. Inferno episode yep. six... Case of Androzani, episode four. You know, there are just certain episodes that are just brilliant. And Curse of Henry, episode four, it has a pace, a momentum to it. It's very satisfyingly pays off all of its thing that it's doing. It's very complicated. Yeah. Um, it's mostly brilliantly executed and, and acted. Um, as an episode of television in its own right, it's terrific. It is. And it's such a shame we never got any more Doctor Who from Ian Briggs. Really is. No, I think no, not he had other books. stories to tell. Yeah. Yeah. And he talks very passionately about this on and Dragonfire yeah. on the and let's be honest, Dragonfire isn't the best written story in the world. No. Um he's come on in leaps and bounds with this. Yeah. In two years, yeah, he's yeah, he's really upped his game. So to have um Ian Briggs and Nick Mallet like doing this tour de force together in yeah, the last season. No one expected that. Fantastic. Um, Sai, we've got about a minute and a half. Where are we heading next? Well, um, I'm trying to remember. We've talked about so many things that we might do. I think there are, are two main stories that we've talked about doing. Go on. And we've talked about snake dance. Oh, yes. Fabulous. And But, you know, I think... Maybe we should go back to our comfort who, back to the Williams years, oh. and do Nightmare of Eden. Oh my God, yes. 
Nightmare yeah. Media next. Um, are you claiming superior knowledge? Oh, he died. The flora and the fauna are in the crystal. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> no, 